Welcome to Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and I'm left of center. And I'm Rich, and I tend to lean a little bit more to the right. But the bottom line is, is together we try to look for the balance of what it means to be human in today's world. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Living in the Matrix. This is Jonathan, uh, and this is my co-host, Rich. Say hello, Rich. Hey, everybody. Great to be back. It's good to have you back, man. Um, Today, we are with Andrew, and I found Andrew on Instagram about six months ago, and I can't remember how what made me hit follow, but he's been in my feed, and he always has these interesting thought processes about life. And then about a month ago, he came into my feed. For some, we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but it just captured my attention how interesting this guy is, and that's what we love to have on the show is people that... Uh, um, are choosing to live outside of the status quo. And Andrew, you are definitely one of them. Welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. And I think it aligns so well with kind of my background because I've, I've really only existed on the edges of society and on either side. You know, I, I started off incredibly Mormon and then found myself you know, in a gray black market selling drugs and going to, to different states, uh, extraction facilities. So, yeah, I, I started off uh, my my journey, like I said, really uh, very religious. And that already kind of puts you on the edge. Right. So I was a real true blue Mormon guy. And uh yeah, I I really went to BYU and I did like a little mini mission and I went and talked to people about Joseph Smith and Jesus. I did the whole thing. And uh, I found myself dissatisfied. I, I found myself feeling not cohesive with my lifestyle. And the answer was like, oh, just wait, you'll be happy in the next life. You, you'd be upset now. but I didn't find that answer satisfying because like in a very, I had this real conversation where I said to my Mormon Bishop, I said like Mormon Bishop, uh, it seems like I would say one of the more significant components was, uh, the fact that I got married when I was 18. Okay. Uh, so being married as a teenager definitely started to shift my perspective and continue to keep me on the outside of society. Um, and that was a weird experience, like basically being a teenager and then being told like, all right, you have a wife now and go take care of your family. Um, yeah. Uh, so I graduate high school. I go on a mini mission, which is only two weeks long. And so at that point, I had already decided, like, I liked having sex too much to really go on a full time mission. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. I was in the middle ground. And so I go to BYU. I end up having sex with my girlfriend. I get caught. I get kicked out of school. And then the idea was like, all right, well, I'm not going to stop having sex. So I guess we should just get married because we're already in love and I'm not going on a mission. So like, this seems like the next logical step of life. And uh, that was not the best choice, to be honest with you. And here's the crazy thing. We're still cool as fuck. We were, I was married for almost nine years. We were together like 10 years. Wow. And the smoothest divorce I've ever Breaking up with girlfriends has been much more traumatic than the divorce I have with my ex-wife. She is so cool. And uh, I'm very lucky that I, I was able to get out of that a, a, a marriage with no children, no debt, 
no hard feelings. Like that, that's a, that was pretty cool how that worked out. Um, but yeah, basically I'm at BYU. I'm dissatisfied with being a Mormon because I see that the rest of the world is doing shit that I want to do. And I get not allowed. What the fuck? When am I allowed to do cool shit? Like I have to wait to die to do drugs. I have to wait to die to have a threesome. I have to wait to die. Like, why would God make all this cool shit and then not let me do it? Like, what the fuck? And so uh, it's at this time that I'm actually going to school because I'm very Mormon and I'm I'm on track to be a DEA agent, law enforcement. That's what I wanted to go with, my major in criminology. And I'm ready to get a gun and just start kicking down doors, just like laying down the long dick of the law, just like, bam, everybody on the fucking ground, Officer Ferris, bam, bam. Like, I was, I was ready, dude. I was ready. And then... Uh, I go, I went on like a ride along and I started spending time with like law enforcement. And, uh, I felt like kind of like a stormtrooper being like, Oh fuck, are we the bad guys? Like, Oh shit. Yeah. Oh fuck. Because like, uh, obviously police do good things. And if some bad shit happened, I'm calling 911. But, uh, being a police officer, not for me, you even a DEA agent, anything like that. The second you show up, people loathe you and you're interacting with people on the absolute worst day of their entire existence. And like, I, I, I have a hard time when a stranger doesn't like me, you know what I mean? Let alone the person, the customer that I'm interacting with is actively hating me. So uh, yeah, man, that wasn't, that wasn't for me. And so uh, at the same time, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I get an assignment at school and at school they say, uh, the way that you evaluate reality is through peer-reviewed empirical data, which is odd for mm. a school to say. I felt like it was like an underground railroad where they were trying to they were trying to have this guy was trying to help kids see the light in a in a smooth way. And so uh, they give me an assignment that says, uh, write about anything, just defend your position on anything you want using peer-reviewed scientific journal. So I went onto the J store and I thought I was going to have an easy assignment. I thought I was going to say weed is bad. Medical marijuana is a backdoor to recreational legalization. There's no value. It's bad. Drugs are bad. Cause that's what God said. God said drugs are bad. So, I mean, obviously the science will show that drugs are bad. And so fuck, I start looking and now I find all these papers, but instead of saying that weed is bad, there's a, oh, non-toxic, non-physically habit forming, shrinks tumor stuff, cancer, what the fuck? And so I, it actually threw me down like a portal. I was awake for like a full day reading all this because it was a, it was a thread that, that pulled the tapestry of my perception of reality because up until this point, God had been the ultimate authority in the men at church who told me what to believe. That was reality. And now I have another authority figure as a school institution telling me to trust science. And like, I've never before had science and God in direct conflict. Like before it seemed like they could work together. There's some gaps, but here it is. Here's the science saying, weed really isn't very bad for you. And in fact, there could be some medical benefits. And then here's God saying, bro, you smoke weed, you're going to hell, and I don't love you anymore. I'm like, that's Dude, you, That quote, pulling the thread of the tapestry of your reality, we have to just, we have to highlight that. That that was just brilliant, man. I just love that line. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm visualizing it right now. It's like the matrix, right? And it's unraveling, you know? It really that's was. incredible. Yeah. It really was the matrix unraveling for me. And it was terrifying because it was like, oh, man. It, what if God's really not in control of this whole operation, dude? Whoa, God. And like, uh, it 
it created like this pit inside of me that continued to grow and more and more of my beliefs and my my structure of what I thought I was and who I was as the whole grew more and fell in and then I, I, I wasn't sure what oh my god who am I what am I I've got and like I'm freaking out. I can't explain this to anyone because at BYU, if you start to talk shit, if you start to not believe, it's a private institution. And if you get expelled, those private credits don't transfer to a public school. So like, oh shit, you can't let them know. You can't let them know. And, uh, and you need an endorsement every semester from your religious leader. And if your religious leader feels that you are not endorsable, then you can't go back to school and now you lose all your credit. So like, you, I have to be playing the role. You know what I'm saying? I cannot express these feelings to anyone because it's dangerous. And uh, even my wife like, kind of doesn't want to hear it at the time. And so uh, eventually I, I become obsessed with marijuana and reading about the facts. And I try to convince people and, and try to say it's not so bad. And nobody wants to hear it. And uh, I'm in Rexburg, Idaho, and it is not known for its cannabis friendly culture and uh i first decide like all right i guess i'm gonna smoke weed and like at the time the only people who had access to weed were essentially people who were terminally ill because it's a very mormon place so the the first dude that i met that really had weed had like sickle cell anemia and then the next dude had terminal cancer and so like the first few smoke sessions were not like i'm smoking in this dude's bathroom and he's dying and like got like I was like, man, is this drugs? This doesn't seem good. I don't know. Did you have uh, intense paranoia? No, no. You didn't. That's good. Especially yeah. coming out of a religious background. Because you and I have very similar paths in terms mm. of same conflicts internally, same kind of moving on. And it's because uh, – and marijuana for me is one of those that I think the church needs to significantly look at. Because the medicinal qualities are – far superior than any uh any man-made type substances that you know they want to sell us through insurance you know it's like its medicinal properties are astounding and i think it, it's i think we're afraid of that um uh, i think we're afraid of people getting well it's easier to keep people buying stuff when they're sick i want to guy jonathan um Oh, quick, I, I watched this guy who had Parkinson's, like he was really just shaking all over and absolutely just almost not able to function. And he slowly released a dro dropper in his mouth and literally he's like lucid. Oh my God, like a freaking miracle, right? He's having a conversation. He's like marveling. He's like, this is amazing. He's like trapped in his own body, which is just a horrifying thing, right? And you go down, you know, the Awakenings movie, which we saw a long time ago. I think it was De Niro and somebody else. And they gave him some drugs that made him really bright again. But then he, he crumbled. In this case, it's like this is this is salvific, right, for this guy, right, in that term, right? So go ahead. Yeah. What were you going to say? Uh, I mean, I, I agree 100%. And I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a common fallacy of that previous perception. So, like, a lot of religiosity and a lot of, uh, like, systems of power will have black and white uh, decision trees because that discourages critical thinking. So if everything mm -hmm. is black and white, this is good, this is bad. It's this all is right, figured out wrong. for you. Yes. If you don't have, if, if the critical thinking is removed, then the 
the understanding cannabis is almost impossible because cannabis does not easily fit into one box. So just like how exercise is very healthy for you and good for you, but sports are really fun and have a physical exercise component. And so like, can you say, uh, well, I'm only playing basketball medically. You know, I'm playing, I'm not having any fun with this. I'm not, not, it's not recreational soccer. This is medical soccer. Mm -hmm. And like the idea that medicine and recreation and pleasure and fun can't be associated with medicine and getting better. That has to be a sterile doctor thing. You're not allowed. And so like. It has to be in a pill. <laughs> mm, yes. Well, even and, let's talk about uh, sex. Sex mm. was like pro procreation, right? Mm. It's not supposed to be fun, right? Sex is we're here. Exactly. To, to have that. Ben Shapiro was talking to somebody about this and the, the, they were talking about the purpose of, I don't know if it was the guy, if they were talking about gay sex or other kinds of sex, but the bottom line is, is like Ben was like, hey, here's the purpose. And, the guy, and then this guy goes, so you've had your three or four kids, you've procreated, now you just stop, right? Is that what happened? He was just dead silent, right? Ben Shapiro is never silenced, right? He's like always got the answer for every potential question out there, either whether it's social or religious or political and he was like stunned it's like oh shit am i you know yeah same I mean, exact thing i think that's again. part of the journey is people are coming to a point where they're capable of questioning their own face that they grew up with mm -hmm. and because that's what social media and having access to a shit ton now ai is a whole nother level it's going to teach people all the bullshit factors that are in their lives because they're going to be able to do what we did which is go I, I, it's not, I love the way you said it. it's not satisfying. Like, mm -hmm. it's not that I don't care about it. It's, it doesn't satisfy. I want to find something that's satisfying. And what's interesting is you kind of gravitated towards marijuana. Why was that your catalyst? Why, what was it about it? Because here's the thing, there's a concept in faith systems in Christianity, at least of, um, the slippery slope. Don't go too far over the edge. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Uh, I think it's actually a slip and slide that mm -hmm. it's in the sense of we're unlocking ourselves from the shackles. What do you think? Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, you, there's several questions that I wanted to answer that you guys, you guys both asked. So uh, the, the first one would be um, when you were talking about the Ben Shapiro component and about having sex, like the, the assumption that, productivity and logic and efficiency are moral righteous values is actually like a total fallacy and like you can mm -hmm. choose to adopt that in your morality but the idea mm -hmm. that that is a standard like no other animals mammals value that in the same way have you ever watched like a bird play a canary play with other canaries or play with toys like how can you say oh well that's that's not productive that that's not valuable or like that's an essential component of its life if you don't allow other mammals to play or socialize they physically deteriorate and so the idea that existence <laughs> is only for functionality and that anything beyond functionality is extra to be cut is like a a total misunderstanding of reality in, in my mind. Um, and then uh, Jonathan, to answer your question about like why cannabis is so interesting to me, uh, it had always been fascinating my entire life. I think uh, because of the idea of scarcity, the idea that like, ah, I got to go to Disneyland one time when I was a child and it was like incredible. And like, 
there was only I could only go once because like it's expensive, you know what I mean? And like eating mm-hmm. out, that was expensive. And so like doing fun things was expensive. Weed was ten dollars, fifteen dollars. And so like all my friends growing up, they all smoked weed. I was like the only Mormon one. And I never tried it. Not even one time. I couldn't let Jesus down. I never tried it. Mm. And like uh finally as You took your before, faith seriously. Like it sounds like you really took it seriously. I was a true blue believer. You better because I had experiences that mirrored drug psychedelic experiences that were almost as authentic. And then as a teenager, as a child, I had an adult come in and finesse me and say, like, ah, what you were experiencing wasn't self-actualization or any significant emotional experience. That was Jesus, and he told me to tell you about it. Interesting. Uh, I acted. I mean, yeah. you're, not having, you're not talking about the vision that Joseph Smith had at Palmyra. Not, was he at Palmyra? Um, off in the woods, right, where the angel came and visited him in um, in New York, or I think is where he was. And then it was Moroni that kind of showed him the golden plates. I can't remember the, the story, but um, are you saying that you had some types of experiences um, that mirrored, um, you know, the use of cannabis uh, and you didn't know what that was? Did, can yeah. you elaborate on that? Uh, as far as the experiences that built my faith that truly mirrored a psychedelic experience, um, when I was a teenager, when I was 15 years old, the Mormon church has a program called EFY, especially for youth. And, uh, teen teens would go to meet on like generally a college campus during the summer when the college is out and have like essentially a Mormon kind of camp, summer camp experience. And, uh, at the end of the week, you're kind of separated into some small groups and you're usually at like a fireplace or like some, some quiet, dark area. And everybody shares generally some very intense emotional experiences and being emotionally aware, even if you are not sharing your own emotional experience, like you could feel it and you could even feel tears and you could feel it's almost a tangible thing if you've ever had the experience that I'm talking about of being in a group of people that you've gotten to know intensely over the last you know, couple, couple of days where you're spending 24 hours with these strangers and you've developed a relationship and it's a very new and exciting relationship. And then these strangers are being incredibly vulnerable, telling them deep things that they're trusting you with in this room. And everybody is being very accepting and like you can feel it's just an intense experience. And, uh, it's very similar to certain aspects of a, of a psychedelic experience. And so I had had those experiences as a teenager and that made me think like God was real because like, here's how real these things were. And then I took drugs and then I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> I, this was $15. This was not God. That's crazy. That, you don't have to go away for a week either. Yeah. It's, the, the experience you're talking about in, in – I grew up an evangelical Christian and we, we would go to camp every summer and we, they would have a bonfire at the end of the week and everybody would profess their faith for Christ. And it was a palpable experience of love. What I realize now, knowing what I know now, is I was actually experiencing the chemical reaction of love. Mm-hmm. And we take that for a religious experience. Is that what you felt? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And if again, like I'm, I'm a child. I'm 15 years old, and an adult that has authority that is not only an authority figure in my religious institution, but is a authority figure 
in in his social position, right? Like usually they were like a somewhat successful businessman or doctor, engineer. So like here I'm a teenager and some other important, powerful person that sits in multiple structures of institution is telling me that was God and he has a special message for you. And like, okay. Was was that different than the burning in the bosom that you typically would get? Because one of the things um, when we used to talk to Mormons because um, we used to kind of, you know, proselytize, right? We we would say, hey, we, we're in apologetics. I think we found, you know, Joseph Smith said, we actually are, are the real church. Um, everything that happened in the past, um, at least up until the first century was kosher, right? The, the early apostles were all good, but now everything's gotten screwed up. And to, to, to his credit, Joseph Smith was right in a lot of ways. When you see 85,000 Protestant denominations, a lot of war, factions, a lot of divisiveness, but... Um, you know, we would say, well, you're probably a Mormon because you were raised as a Mormon and that's just the way it goes. And it's like, that's not a very, it's kind of a cop-out, right? And so you think the natural answer was, yeah. And they say, no, I got down on my knees and I prayed and I had that burning in my bosom. So I had that special revelation. Is that what they were trying to elucidate in these things? Or was it just something more like a communal type of strengthening um, where you would have maybe a different kind of a message that you thought you had. Cause that's, that's what I've heard of. Is that, is that accurate in, in what, 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 what's described? No, I, I think it's definitely by design, but not intentional design. Like I think it's okay. people that have, I think there are people that have authentically good intentions and are trying their best to be the best that they can be. And they've found some value in religiosity, Mormonism, Catholicism, whatever it is. And so like they're trying to create these experiences, which they believe are God. And so like, yeah, 100%. It's, an intentional, it's an intentional component where it's like, okay, guys, we're going to really try to muster the spirit where it's like, you're actually creating the potential and the social experience for people to feel love in a society and culture that suppresses that. And so, yeah, then you can manipulate people however you want. Well, you just said manipulate because that's the thing that I get. That's that's the problem that I have because there is genuine people who want to find God, want to be in community, want to share in love. And that, that's a great thing. But then there's this power structure that says, let's make it hyper suggestive, right? This happens at a lot of the um, Pentecostal and charismatic movements where the people are like, right, they're falling around, they're lurching, they're acting crazy. You've probably heard of Benny Hinn. I don't know if you've heard of Benny Hinn. But um, you watch these people in audiences and you realize that this is a manipulation, right? And it's and, and the question I have for both of you guys is if the end result is a connection and a better standing, is that accurate? Or is it if, if the focal, if, if the actual um, point of it was suggestibility and getting money, let's say, and getting commitment to a cause, is that is, Tell me, is it wrong or is it not wrong? If if the outcome is like community and love and, and outpouring and support in a community, did the end justify the means? Andrew, let me answer first here. Um, I say no. I know I've wrestled with this question very deeply. Were Was the intention of those people who led the church when I was young to manipulate me into the kingdom of God? And I don't think that was it at all. They mm-hmm. saw it as a deeply valuable experience. So they were leading me to something that had worked for generations. So it wasn't manipulation. They knew it was good. Cause I, so half my family is Mormon. So I grew up with a presence of being a Mormon. And I will honestly say, I find the Mormon faith family structure or, or a sense of my experience with that family infinitely better and more loving than in my tribe. Because it was in the evangelical tribe. 
Yeah, there, there's and yeah, so that's, that's culture that I experience is one that was there was a lot of love in the Mormon family. Like it's they practice it. Uh, but so Andrew, give me your take. Yeah, I mean, there's membership of these organizations exists for like a reason. Like there is value of, that people are able to get, and it is like a real actual value and a system that's replicatable that has value. I mean, look at McDonald's or anything else that's like a very replicatable system value. And so, yeah, I, I feel like as nice as it would be to know the answers to whys, I, I have kind of resigned myself to only focus on hows. And so like the why people did this, the what, the, like we're trying to answer a question that they themselves don't know. And so mm, it's like impossible to get to that base but as far as like the how the how is like i was a kid i got in a situation an adult told me these things and like as far as why they told me those things and their true intentions like that was like really impossible to know do you consider yourself a mormon still definitely not negatory negatory (laughs) so what was that Um, jump for you oh uh, so that was actually my next my next thing on my on my list here and uh, when you're a Mormon or religious person, you're, the way that your life is set up is like God is in the center and you build your life around God. And so like all of a sudden, like God was gone. And I was like, what am I going to do here? Like, what, what, do I, what do I do? Do you consider yourself an atheist? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think so. I don't know. I don't. You wouldn't, be okay. the, you wouldn't be the first person we've had on our podcast that was Mormon that went down the path of theist to then non-theist. So the path. So I think here, and the biggest challenge with this is, is that when you, and I was going to ask you this earlier because for me, when you had that task of finding empirical evidence, empirical evidence and research, that is the biggest crock of what they would have asked you because one of the, the foundational misattributes of truth to the Mormon religion is that during the reign of Zedekiah, they came across here, they built, you know, nations, the Lamanites and the Nephites warred against each other. And all that was left behind were the dark skinned Mark of Cain uh, Lamanites, I think maybe they're the Nephites. I can't remember. But the bottom line is, is like, there's no historical, archeological, genetic, or cultural evidence of any of this types of civilization ever existing here in this country. So the DNA of the Native Americans that everybody found when they came over here should have Middle Eastern DNA in them because they all came across here from Middle East. From They were Jews. They were Hebrews. And then here Jesus came, showed up. So one of the questions I was going to have for you is, t- to me, I believe you can have the truth of, of the message of Christ and even though there's a lot of guessing games there and there's a lot of faith you've got to put into it, like rising from the dead, et cetera, I think, unfortunately, for the Mormon faith, there's a lot of things that I think Joseph Smith added to that, including just taking the King James Version and writing stuff down and trying to be almost verbatim in, in, in the Book of Abraham, which, according to Smithsonian, was Rich, gibberish. what's your question, bro? <laughs> My question really is, is like, was was the actual – was there an actual – epistemological was it an actual uh, intellectual ascent that you realized it wasn't true because of, of the mormon thing or was it something that you you missed like god was just missing like you know what i'm saying like there's people who say, satisfied, which was your word yeah so, so i'd like to understand that if you if you would 
when, yeah. when he left, when God left you, was it was it because it was intellectually unfulfilling? What broke the shelf is what you're Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it was the straw that broke him's back. Yeah. So like essentially, um I uh I had always like felt not satisfied and I just assumed that that was part of the burden of my responsibility as a Mormon is that like life is hard and part of the difficulty is restraint and a lack of fulfillment. <laughs> and so like the more discomfort you have, the better your heaven's going to be. And so like, I'd always felt that. And then all of a sudden uh, I get to college and like uh, there's a Mormon stories podcast. They still exist, but at the time that was more significant to me. And then I'm taking these like biology courses and like not even like it, it, it wasn't like deep doctrine that that convinced me. It was more just like baseline things where, like, yeah, I don't know if I believe in this. And then it was like, well, you're going to tell me that like Noah was a literal story. And like, I, mm. I was like, I don't know, because like there's a zoo in San Francisco and it has like a full team of people that like have doctorate degrees and like they can't keep the animals alive sometimes. And they don't even have two of all of the animals. And then like even beyond that, like you could measure the earth and like the atmosphere and like, you know how the rain cycle works. So like we can measure how much rain can even fit on our planet and like how much water would it take to fucking cover Mount Kilimanjaro to fill the Grand Canyon? Like all of a sudden the math doesn't work now. And so if you had been more flexible with your theology and said like, yeah, interpret it as you'd like, see what there is to, to think about, see, find your own answer. Then that would have been fine. But like, not you were Mormonism's black and white. This happened this way. And like, when you've set yourself Don't up. Don't question that, it. Yeah. When you've set yourself up to be so rigid, then all of a sudden it's very difficult to recover from any deviation from that. I don't know if that answers your question totally. No, I, that's the hero's journey because the hero's journey is to break the cast of the family and go create a new story. Yeah. And that's what you did. So, I mean, the most significant uh, part of that was like, um, I had started smoking weed and I was married, but I was hiding it from my wife because she didn't like it. And so she goes on a trip to go see her sister and she's gone. And I decide I want to do some real drugs. And so uh, I had never bought drugs before. I didn't know how to get them. I was 24, 25, married since I was 19. And so like, I didn't have a lot of single friends. I only had Mormon friends. And so like, I just, I think I went on Craigslist. <laughs> like, like, I don't know how I did it, but it was not a not a smart way to go about it. But I eventually, <laughs> I give myself a tab of acid, and I say, "Okay, here we go." And I do this acid. And uh, when you talk about the Matrix, and like, it was like the scaffolding of my existence and perspective disintegrated. I, mm. I don't know how to fully explain to you the idea mm. that. Like, Okay, if I'm not going to believe in God, then like we got to delete, we got to <laughs> the whole hard drive here because what, what can we keep? What can we throw away? We, well, I don't know because if God's and so like I, I this I filled up a whole notebook where I wrote down. Okay, I guess this is what I believe now because if God isn't real, then I guess I am God, and if I'm God, I'm going to make some rules that make sense to me, and so like. I started at the bottom, like, okay, God says stealing is wrong. What do what does Andrew God say? And I remember I had, I had my iPod stolen in high school. That felt real shitty. And so I said, mm. I think stealing is wrong. I don't think I want to steal. 
And then they added, okay, what about like driving the speed limit? Nah, fuck that. I'll go faster than speed limit. That's okay. And then I had to go to the next thing. Like, what about like lying? What about like cheating on your girlfriend? What about like, I had to go through everything like a little baby, like a brand new little baby. And I had mm-hmm. to make all these new decisions. And like, some of my decisions are far outside of the realm of societal norms because mm. I, I didn't have society at the helm of creating my new rules and laws. It was just fucking mentally ill, wild ass me. And so, and so I, yeah, that's how I ended up existing on the outside because like my rules for life that I created are not like based on anything else but my own experiences. And so, uh, yeah, but in an amazing way, it's like so freeing because like when I take accountability for being responsible for my reality and essentially the God of my existence and experience, all of a sudden it's a, it's an incredible burden because the things that you don't like, you have to be responsible for, take accountability for them. But if they're things that you want, then all of a sudden you can, you can grant them to yourself. So like, I, this is a great example. Even the fact that I'm talking to you, I, I had everything in my life kind of end. I've had like three chapters of life and my second chapter of life ended in a spectacular blaze of despair and agony. And, uh, I was like, it was, it was just like before when I lost my Mormon religion, had to restart again. And I said, okay, Mm -hmm. this time I'm God. And like, what, what do I want my reality to be? And, uh, I based my I based it on a story that my father told me. My, my father, he's a lawyer now, but he used to be a heroin addict. And he's a heroin addict when he was like a teenager, and all his friends are dying because you don't live long doing intravenous drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like the Vietnam War. And he tells me like, "Hey, Andrew, I was gonna go kill myself on the train tracks." And I get there, and I decide I'm I'm gonna stay alive, I guess. And then he says, I, "I'm gonna stay alive, and if I'm gonna stay alive." What what should be my life? Because doing heroin's great. So if I'm gonna not do heroin, I better be doing something badass. And he remembers that a lawyer had gotten him out of drinking underage, and so he decided I'm gonna be a lawyer. And so like my dad stops doing heroin. He goes to community college, gets into college, goes to law school, does the whole thing because he's at like the bottom and decided, all right, I'm gonna go back to heroin. That still is. He's he's seventy five. I'm gonna go back to heroin later. I don't know. Not yet, but soon I'm gonna go back. So uh, I kind of had good that tactic, actually. Yeah, I I had that template um, of of my reality. So I said, you know what I want to do? I want to like I want to be rich and famous. That sounds pretty badass. And like it's even scary to say out loud. It feels uncomfortable to even tell you. Like just saying the word. I want to be rich and famous. That sounds pretty fucking cool. And like. I guess I'm I'm gonna do that, and either like I'm gonna accomplish that goal, or I'll die before, and then I'll be famous after I'm dead. So like I've already decided, I've, I've already made the decision as the god of reality. I'm going to be rich and famous. I don't know if I'm gonna get to experience it while I'm alive. I don't know if it's gonna be future generations. I don't know. I can't control that much of my reality, but the amount that I can't control <clears throat> this much. And so like the the freedom and responsibility and satisfaction of making progress in the reality that you've decided is, I mean, I, I'm, my vocabulary, I, I rarely run out of things to say, <laughs> but I, I cannot describe the satisfaction that I feel of progress on my goals. I want to offer you a perspective because you and I have, like I said, we have 
same trajectories, probably different paths. But I think what you're doing is essentially taking Jesus or, I mean, because Jesus is part of the Mormon religion, so that's your background, saying, hey, there's this thing called grace. And you kind of took up that idea of I get to do anything I want, but I've got to create my own rules. And I think Jesus created a very simple structure. This is if you base it on love, you're always going to be in a good place. How would you say yours is different from that? Because I think that idea of living into this gray space is really hard for people. They don't like freedom. They want structure. They want safety and security. Grace is hard because it's like, it's a big world. And I think you're kind of taking it by the balls and going, well, let's go for a ride. You know, let's do this. And uh, what do you think? I think uh, my opinion on that is that uh, love or comfort is fantastic and desirable, but it is not uh, the enemy of discomfort. In fact, they are one and the same and uh, they, they require each other. And the idea of trying to separate them like you can't take a coin and separate one half from the other half. You can't only have half of a mountain. They require each other to exist. And so uh, my experiences that have had mm, contrast are the most valuable. So here I'll give you an example. Like when you have the perspective that, okay, love and only love is going to guide my decisions. You could be with your partner on the beach and you see another beautiful woman and you think like, I really like her a lot. And I, I, I love, I want to go have that. Why should I not? If my, if my desire is to only maximize love and kind of like feeling good, it's an authentic, the same love feelings that I'm feeling for this other woman. I had those same feelings that drew me to my wife and look, I'm married and it's all good. It's so much love. So how can you tell me the same thing that drove me here to a good place now you're telling me the same thing is going to fuck everything up and like the fact is like it's true and like i i messed up my life a lot by doing that because i was so mormon and i had so much control in my life i thought all control and all discomfort was bad i thought i thought i had to just maximize comfort and so i go to the grocery store like what do you want to eat all the food that's good ice cream cinnamon bun like that's how i got to be 300 pounds that's how i ended up having a bunch of not successful relationships. That's how I ended up not being able to have control over my own life and finding the uh, value of discomfort and saying like, oh, this is, mm. this is not a thing to run from. This is not a thing to chastise. This is a beautiful part of the process. And so like mm, the, in the same, in the same way of imagine your destination is, is in a faraway place and you're on a journey and your true destination is still miles away, but you found a very nice place and there's nice food here and it's nice to rest here. And like, you can spend your whole life trying to convince yourself that like, you don't really want to go over there, that you really, everything's good here. Why should I leave? It's fine. Everything's good. But like, you know what you really want. And where you really want to be. And so like, I, I can't, I cannot lie to myself to find satisfaction in not following the things that I want. I, 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 I try. Wait, that was a double negative. What'd you say? Mm, I cannot, 
uh, I cannot lie to myself and say I'm satisfied with things that are just not bad or things that are just good. Right. In other words, you want more. Because I think that's part of the whole life experience is it's not about what's right or wrong. It's about there's, we're men for freedom and we tend to, for the sake of safety, because our brain goes hardwired and says, you need to protect yourself. So let's create these structures. I think that's the hard part about any, you know, organized religion is its intention. You know, Rich, you talk about manipulation. It's like, no, they don't start out trying to manipulate people, but they can. That's the interesting part of it. And I, I, uh, I'm always fascinated like with power and power structure systems of control and, uh, religiosity and organized religion is another one of those very powerful things very I mean, so. think about very a bunch much. of I people. Mean, we're, <laughs> this is living in the matrix. We're yeah. a huge yeah. part of this is because both Rich and I came out of a religious structure and we're probably a lot more free flowing now, but it's like, that, what does it mean to live in a simulation? And is, you know, because our backgrounds parallel, but they were probably fairly similar because it's a really protective border. And there's a lot of love that exists in it. I can say most of my youth was filled with love, but there was a lot of control and manipulation that happened. So, yeah, well, I think it's. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say that the reason why I kind of got out of the church, though, Jonathan, is because my wife was hurt by the people there, yeah. right? And so she was yeah. hurt by gossip and and structure gossip and legalistic and bullshit, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to go back to you, though, Andrew, in terms of there's this concept about freedom to explore and express and find what you want, but there's also the idea of balance. So there is the idea of the book of, Ecclesiastes, where Solomon, one of the wisest people in the world, he does everything. He has all the money, all the wealth, all the concubines, all the wives. He had all the wine. He had whatever the heck he wanted. And then at the end of the day, he gave himself the freedom to just totally have excess. And at the end, he says, meaningless. It's all it's all worthless. It's all meaningless. And that's why it's a crazy book. But have you ever heard of the movie Legends of the Fall? It's with Brad Pitt. That sounds very familiar. It's a famous movie. Um, It's when he's, you know, he's a good looking dude and the wife loves it and everybody loves Brad Pitt. But um, he basically um, goes to the war. He sees his young brother um, die and he goes and scalps all these Nazis during World War I. He comes back and he's broken and he's got this girl that he loves, but he can't be with her because there she's part of the family he goes off and he just uh, smokes opium he's on this boat he travels his hair gets long he's got women next to him and i think he realizes that he's seen it been there done that so i guess my question for you is when do you find balance what when when is enough enough in terms of exploring that or i mean to be fair jim morrison i i, I love he wanted to break on through man that guy did whatever it took because he was on a mission to say what's out there, right? And he's a poet, man. I love his album, An American Prayer. So tell me, if, is there any balance in there? Is it just like, let's freaking see where this thing goes? T- tell me a little bit about that journey. Uh, I mean, is this phase three? Or are you still in, I don't know, are we on phase three out of your, your life? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, this is the third chapter for sure. They've all had very distinct openings and closings. Uh, and I mean, everything is actually... My progress in my third chapter, I've in two years, has exceeded 
several years in chapters one or two. And so, mm. uh, yeah, I, I'm doing great. And I, I mean, the, the question that I've still been dying to answer that I think like can continue to go around and around is that you can recognize like, on the one hand, yeah, religion has all these very tangible, visible, good things that you we've all experienced. And then on the other hand, we can see, oh, religion has all these kind of fucked up bad things that like not only we can reach and touch, but we've all experienced. And so like you're trying to assess, uh, you're trying to attach morality to power and like mm-hmm. power uh, it's, doesn't it's have the other side of the coin. Yeah. morale. Yeah, like just like a, a river or the ocean doesn't have a morality power cannot have a morality and like other things that are powerful also don't have a morality so like guns sex drugs fire money all of those things are incredibly powerful and a slight change can make one experience an amazing ecstasy and another a terrible nightmare like just one one tiny little tiny change of any of those incredibly powerful systems and even the intent behind the person in control of those powerful systems drastically changes your experience and so like i don't think it's possible to assign morality to to raw power it's possible to assign it to the people who are driving the system so like just a car doesn't have morality but the driver has and so like yeah religion just like anything else that's powerful is is powerful and can be used for good things like fire, cooking food, bad things like burning down your neighbor's house. Like, uh, yeah, I think it can, you, because you can see it on both sides, it doesn't fit into a box. It's, it's the mechanism. It's the operator. Does that make sense? Yeah. Agreed. Do you, uh, in your journeys, cause I know you've sort of given yourself a lot of freedom. I, I, I think it's a powerful way to live cause it's a, it's, it's your, you're delimiting yourself. How how do you, what is the sort of, not existential, but all, maybe existential sort of questions you ask as you go through that in terms of how it affects other people? Because like your point was, you have one woman and the other, what's to stop you from this one? What's been the journey in your head on that? Yeah, uh, basically, it, uh, I, 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 I hit the ceiling, I realized, and it was no longer satisfying. So like, um, yeah, like you, you can have sex with a lot of women and uh that's awesome i cannot i cannot tell you how great it is but it's also awesome to like have somebody when you get home that is your best friend that like knows you that like cares about you in a way that nobody else on the planet cares about you and like you cannot have both things you know what i'm saying you 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 require uh temperance to have access to both things and so um, I think that's where some of the balance lies, you know? I mean, that's, that's, this, is, this is an age-old question, right? I mean, hell, let's talk about love. I mean, wars have started. People have died. Thousands of people have died because of love interests, right, in relationships, right? I mean, look at like Henry VIII, for heaven's sake, right? I mean, just, right. I mean, he split a church apart, right? He separated from Rome because yeah. he wanted another woman instead of Catherine of Aragon, right? So... I think that you're onto something in that you're recognizing the dichotomy of this excess has limitations. This certainty has also got limitations, right? And we have to choose what's going to be, what's going to work for us. I think if you also 
and Jonathan would lean towards love, I think he would realize that even if he had the opportunity to be Charlize Theron is walking by, she catches his eye. She's like, there's more than eye contact. It's like, wow. And she, Jonathan's like, all right, she just gave me an ultimatum. She goes one night with me. What do you say, hun? And you know, you've got that choice, right? I mean, it's, it, it, people have these supposedly, you know, these relationships where like, yeah, okay, hon, Brad Pitt shows up. He's all yours for one night, you know, no questions asked, right? And so I guess the question, the, the thing, it seems so alluring, but there could be that little thing like, wow, you, you've changed. <laughs> you haven't been the same since that happened for like six months. And uh, I don't know what the hell to say about it, right? So, I mean, it's almost like this is where we get back to the law of thermodynamics. Or the law, it's, a, it's a law of every, op, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. That's the so one law. of the things, yep, what, yeah, second law of thermodynamics. And, and, and what we're finding um, is karma and physics and this whole thing we know as consciousness are all interrelated. At the base level, man, we are all connected through this consciousness, this pure unified field whether we like it or not. So you reduce ourselves down to this atomic level. And when you think about doing something to somebody else or something that comes back at you and that reverberates, it's actually just law of physics in many, many ways. We can call it religious, but in many ways, you know, and I know that doing something, there's, there's a little hint in the back of your mind that says, if I go down this path, I know there could be consequences. feels really good. I do it. I know. And, and whether you actually Physically, it, it, you can even cheat on somebody that you love, and they might not know about it, but you're sure as hell going to know about it, right? And so, I mean, Edgar Allan Poe talks about things that it just it, it, it eats you inside, right? And so people go crazy because of the stuff that they could do. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I, I I'll tell you, Rich. I mean, I did all those things, and uh, you become very aware of your position. So, like, I think a lot of men would think like, oh, it'd be so cool my wife or girlfriend let me open up that would be so great and so like i did it right i pushed her and complained and blah 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 and like we're living together we've been together a while and i'm excited and i get out there and like uh within like the first few days you know how many girls talk to me like one two you know how many dudes talk to her like dozens 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 <sighs> and i guarantee you no matter who you are just the nate the economics of sex your wife or girlfriend is going to receive way more attention for the thing that you begged. And now you never thought about what it's going to be like on the other side. You were just thinking about the girl at work and how fun that would be. And like, mm, having to accept the, having to eat the fucking cake that you baked for yourself. So it's, it's, I've had to have that experience. And, and as, oh, wow, that's a different thing. And like, I would say even dating uh, women that like were, worked in like the sex industry whether that was like dancers or um like i she was a prostitute in australia and so like they have a whole legal system there and so like she would work and then get money and come to the united states and so that's how i'd met her and so like uh those experiences changed and shaped my perspective of sexuality and of manhood and uh i think i think that has been very helpful for me to uh many men i think don't recognize their feelings of inferiority and when they feel that they just appear as anger or appear as discomfort and unable to recognize that it's actually 
your feelings of inferiority around sex or confidence or women or whatever it might be because men have the same expectations and pressures that women have they're just not spoken about and not addressed and so like that is why sometimes it's confusing maybe as a man why you get so mad and you don't understand why you're so fucking pissed and like i don't know i'm just fucking mad just leave me alone and like uh it can just feel like oh, i'm just i just get upset that's all it is i'm just getting upset when in reality uh you are getting upset but the reason that you're getting upset is uh is things that you need to address about yourself absolutely yeah huh. and that's is addressing the stuff about ourselves is hard for guys. I think it's hard Men for don't like They don't like going into the heart at all. Nope. It's easier just to be a smart guy, push all the energy down and not let it come out. And and it eventually kills guys. They either become hulks I mean, know, uh, or they – Yeah. I, I, I have some friends that were in the military and they were went to – you know, Iraq or Afghanistan, they talk about their experiences and they talk about their friends that they've lost, not in battle, but here in the United States and about the, I mean, I can't imagine basically your setup where, okay, you, you, here's all this trauma and all these people that are creating this conflict inside of yourself, but you're not allowed to talk about it. And if you do, you'll be punished. But if you have these problems, you'll also be punished. And so, like, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, like, the, the power structure does not allow for someone to feel like a man and be in second place or be a, mm-hmm. or be a co-pilot or be a vice president. The system is set up to say, if you are a vice president, you should be trying to be the president. If you're in second place, you should try to be in first. Like, there's, there is no space to feel satisfied and fulfilled unless you are the top or you're trying to climb to the top. And so everybody else feels bad all the time. (laughs) And so, yeah, there's no relief. And the relief that exists, you are not permitted to access. And so like, fuck, man. I think you're onto something. And we've seen a huge shift in this, I think. Um, You look at Jordan Peterson. He's had huge following and and the 12 or 10, you know, like life, life steps and stuff like that. So I think we're seeing, I don't know if it's the age of Aquarius, Jonathan or not, but we're seeing obviously a lot more visibility towards things or even like NFL players, uh, they talk more about, you know, concussions. They talk more about like emotional stuff. Right. And it's becoming more and more, uh, I think, uh, visible and it's getting better to talk about. I think it's a good thing. Right. Um, I think, you know, we don't want it to swift, shift too far over where like everything that there is this kind of idea that says, instead of I am an anxious person, I have anxiety. There's a difference where we don't want it to make it ontologically like a problem that you're faced with things. So we can still overcome that and still, instead of being a victim. Being, but that being, yeah. yeah. But that, but that being said, there's certain things I'm going back to your, um, psychedelics, let's say, Andrew, I mean, there's huge, huge wins in PTSD with, with um, psilocybin, with MDMA, right? And there's ways to come through this. And I think um, the death of the ego is a huge way of doing it through these experiences and overcoming this idea. I I have to ask you this, um, because we've been talking about this a lot. One of the things that's happened at Johns Hopkins, which has dedicated decades to psychedelic research, 
um, where people are having near-death experience, they, these were all possibly atheist agnostics, but they felt a presence of something, something that they called love, but they didn't acknowledge it was God. But they, what the hell is that? It's something. There's something there other than just me, and I love it, and it felt comforting. So, I mean, I know that you've you've, you've given up on the idea of necessarily a, a the like a like a God, a transcendent God in the sky, but have you felt a sense uh, of um, you know, tell me about, have you had that kind of experience where you're feeling kind of comfortable with the universe in that regard and just like have yeah. a place in it? Yeah. Yeah. A significant yeah. amount of times in a significant way. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the realization that uh, like not only are you like, I am you and you are me and we are mm-hmm. all together. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like uh, the best analogy is like, imagine there's like a light bulb and uh, the light is on and filling the room. And then I'm going to take a cloth and put it over the light bulb. And now the light bulb is dampened and you can't see. But if I poke a bunch of holes in the cloth, a bunch of individual streams of light that seem individual are now visible when in reality they are all the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, it just seems reasonable that we are all the same goo in some way what we have means that there is a god in charge i don't know but if there is a god in charge i feel very much like the relationship that we have is similar to my relationship with the cells that build me like i am cells yeah. my entire body is cells but i don't know them nor do i have a way of even communicating with them like I, how would i talk to one cell how would I, if a cell says andrew i'm hungry give me well, nutrients. it's proven that your body you're, you're onto something Yes. No, but it, Doc, yeah, it, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Yeah. It's proven that your body listens to your own words. Right. So that's the that's the hard part about language is it's a frequency vibration. So you can get hit with someone's words. It's a vibration that your body mm-hmm. feels and your body actually listens to. The problem is it can't tell who said it and it can't tell what's true. So you can script your body. Um, yeah. and that's what oh yeah, yeah. It's oh, yeah. it's that's the power of what they're learning in quantum physics is that through neuroplasticity, you can actually re-script your entire body. And, and you, as, we, as that begins to accelerate, it becomes more and more powerful because uh, you're, once you start investing with intention, I think that's what you've done is you've created mm. this life of intention to say, fuck it, I'm going to do my own thing and suffer my own consequences, which is a highly responsible thing to do. Because that's always the other side of the coin. You have this flittering life to go out, but you've held responsibility for yourself. Like that's yeah. that's powerful. I think. Yeah. That, I I mean to just touch on that. Like one of the most significant things is that, like, you know, for my own life, if I only cared about myself, like, I mean, I I'm not really gonna get. If it was just me, like, I could. Mm-hmm. I could. I'm not going to get too jammed up about getting arrested. I'm not going to get too jammed up about going to prison. I'm not gonna, like, if it was just me, like, oh, I don't care. But like, uh, my mom, bro, I, gotta, I can't, I can't, I, what, what am I going to do? Just not, just abandon my, like, ah. And so like, I guess that's the balance of like freedom and responsibility of like, ah, here's all the shit I want to do. I want to fucking sell drugs and go out there and do whatever the fuck I want, break law, fuck all this shit. But like, I could do that. I can, I for sure can. But like, I'm also an old, I'm an adult grown man that like 
should be responsible according to my values because the God that I am said should be a responsible man. And so I'm like, fuck. Guess I gotta you can't blame me. anybody. You created the rule. I know. And I agree with them so wholeheartedly that I can't, I can't argue with them. But what's been the value of that? Because I don't think it's just a flittering response. I think there's a lot to learn there of you took up the mantle of responsibility for your own life. You took it away from the church and said, no, I'm going to hold this. Yeah. I think uh, people mention it. Sometimes they will give me a compliment about how I'm able to be myself. And uh, I think, I think that's the that's the result of having your own rules and living authentically to your own rules. Mm. But you get to be yourself, and like I get to be myself all the fucking time. And like I talk to people, they get to go to Burning Man once a year where they can be themselves and they don't have to follow the rules of society. Mm. Fuck that shit. I, I every goddamn day I do whatever the fuck I want, and like the things that I want to do follow my own rules. And so like I I do as much of everything that I want. And like, uh, yeah, like having freedom for yourself requires responsibility, which is like an odd conundrum. So I want to ask you a question. I've been meaning, I talked to you about at the beginning. Um, You visited or attempted to visit because I didn't see any second halves of it. Zai Church in Oakland. Yeah, Tell me about the experience. Yeah, it was real cool. Uh, I forgot. I, I forgot. To, I still have stuff I forgot to post about that. <laughs> but uh, no, it it, uh, it really did remind me of uh, the very early days of medical cannabis because uh, the way that it worked is there's like obviously a donation at the door, and then you go through like a little security thing, and then uh, you go to the buying room, which uh, is set up like a deli style, so very similar to how cannabis used to be sold before or packaging regulations. And so, excuse me, they have a, a bunch of different bins with like a bunch of different um, types of mushrooms. And uh, there's a menu and like they have symbols instead of dollar signs. That's because that'll stop the fucking police. You know, they'll get in there and be like, are yeah. you good? Oh, no, you got a little car symbol instead of a dollar sign. Ah, you get away this time. <laughs> well, like, yeah, basically they have little things, but they really mean this is the dollars that these drugs cost. And there's a lot of language like you just donate and we these are free sacrament. But yeah, anyway. So But they're um, keeping within the rules, you know, they're doing it the right way. Because honestly, the, the impression I get is they want to help people. I mean, yeah, for sure. And I mean, yes, I, I agree. It's uh, it's very similar to again the very beginning days of cannabis where it's like, well, this needs to get out there and nobody else is gonna do it, so I guess it's gonna be me and I'm gonna do it the best that I can as just like a regular person. So um yeah, they, uh, the other thing that was very interesting was uh, they have a, a body weight uh, experience calculator, which I had never seen before. And all of the uh, psilocybin is tested. Well, not all of it, but most of it. So you can see per weight the psilocybin concentration of the strain that you're getting. And then you put uh, the concentration percentage of strain and your body weight, and you can see exactly how much to eat. Um, to have the exact experience that you want. And that, you know, that's always a really question cool. when doing mushrooms. How many do I take, Andrew? Fuck, I, I cannot be responsible for your decisions, bro. <laughs> I, I mm-hmm. don't know. Uh, so that's very cool. The other thing that's very cool, that's very exciting for me, is uh, the advent of like new products. So the products that they had 
Um, I think the most common thing that I've seen not in the Zydor church is like chocolate bars, like full bars of chocolate that are sold. And you can buy that packaging on eBay or Alibaba, whatever, and put God knows what in there and sell it as mushrooms. So I'm like, uh, it's also a problem because like the chocolate bars themselves, like, don't usually taste that good and then they're actually like highly caloric and sugary and so it's like if i'm going to eat something highly caloric and sugary i want it to taste good um so anyway the thing that is very exciting for me is they had like uh they were almost do you remember spree candies did you ever eat those yeah they had yeah. it was very similar to that and it's just a little kind of a lightly flavored candy tablet that is about 0.23 um grams and they are fantastic. Uh, so is is that that's a little above microdose? Is that what they're selling them at? Yeah, you, yeah. There's there's they're selling them as microdosed, but um, I think for me, I I like to take maybe like two or three of them. So like about a gram or less is like a most ideal spot for me. Um, and the pricing pretty reasonable. Um, obviously, it's like a black market, so there's no taxes. But usually, everything's like around twenty five to maybe thirty five, forty dollars. Um, and they had a individual chocolates as well. I like that because again, the bar kind of encourages you to eat the whole thing, and it's hard to dose that out. Um, right. But uh, yeah, products being made with extract as opposed to the whole uh, the whole fruiting body, I think, is going to be also the next kind of frontier um because uh there are other things that are potentiators so i don't know if you've ever heard of like lemon juice tech or other oh sure uh, teching yeah. yeah and so products that are combining the the benefit of adding the acidic um component to a psilocybin extract those are kind of the new things that i'm seeing coming out which are pretty cool yeah, Jonathan, um, imagine taking the mushroom instead of a whole stem or a cap. You're sh you're shredding it almost like a keef, if you would, and then you're adding lemon juice, and supposedly it intensifies the effect. It might actually make it a little less actual long, but it definitely has a more intense. That's that's what we did up in up in Breck um, last summer. I was going to ask you, Andrew, um, are you, do you have because it's a a religious institution and a church like like you you know peyote or other kinds of you know substances did you have to consume it there or were you able to take it outside and then take it back with you no yeah i don't think you're allowed to consume it there um and then just real quick to okay. so the the thing the products that i'm talking about they're not even grinding up fruiting bodies they are taking the fruiting bodies extracting um the silicon and then okay uh yeah so like it, the actual it chemical component chemical right. yep, yes yeah, so once it. it's in the fruiting body it's silicon and then converts into psilocybin once digested and yeah, uh, that's what it. the lemon juice does. Right, it makes exactly. that conversion fast, happen faster. It, it helps the conversion of psilocin to psilocybin. Yeah. And so um, that now that could make you could be real small with like a whole gram. <laughs> wow. So that could be yeah. intense. Very much so. Okay. I cannot believe no. how much I, I love talking to you and I feel so guilty about all the interruptions and how much you'll probably have to edit out. But um it's not a big deal. This has been a fantastic conversation. Brother, you and I have a lot of similarities in terms of our life. It's been it's been everything I had hoped it would be. Uh, so thank you for joining us. This has been an absolutely wonderful experience. Yeah, I yeah. really appreciated your guys' questions as well. Um, I don't I don't have conversations usually with people that 
have a, such a similar background where, um, you know, I still find value in some of my religious experiences, but obviously I'm an atheist and obviously I disagree and obviously it's painful and traumatic. And so it's like, yeah, it's like having, you know, an ex-girlfriend that you love, but you have a restraining order because she ruined your life. <laughs> yeah, it's been, yeah. it's been a lot of fun. Any final words, Rich? No, I just really appreciated your um, angles. And I, I mean, I, I, we love the idea of having unique perspectives and yours has been unique in that you've kind of like been a Jim Morrison, you know, of sorts and, 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 and you've kind of broken on through, you've seen what's on the other side and I can't wait to hear more about what you expo- explore and learn down the road, man, and be that kind of beacon for us. Looking forward to more. Thanks so much. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew. yeah. I will say this. I truly believe you should write a book. Because I think, and I'm not joking about that. Here's why. I think you ask a very provocative question in your life from, here's what my religious institution told me. And that's very common across all religious institutions. So that catalyst is true. And you took the risk to go figure it out and realize, oh, there's more. I think a lot of people would be interested in that story. I really do. Thanks. Thanks, Jonathan. Um yeah, yeah I, I appreciate both you guys, your time and your interest in me. And uh, I, I really would love to come back again. I have a whole paper of stories that I still didn't even tell you guys. Um, so well, we will definitely have you back. Definitely. I love that. Please 100%. Let me, please yes. let me know. All right. Yeah, thanks. All right. Thank you, everybody. This has been Living in the Matrix. If you uh, uh, please comment, if you have a suggestion for a guest, please let us know and we'd love to interact with our audience, uh, suggest topics that you'd love to hear us talk about. Um, any, uh, say goodbye, Rich. See yeah, you guys. No. Have a great weekend. Yeah, much grace, can. much love, much peace. Thanks. All right. Much love, everybody. Bye.